Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast, where we interview scientists, philosophers, and leading thinkers to discuss the nature of our reality and the impact it has on our daily lives. Julie Beischel, PhD, is the co-founder and director of research at the Windbridge Institute. She received her doctorate in pharmacology and toxicology with a minor in microbiology and immunology from the University of Arizona in 2003. Dr. Beischel's current research interests include the examinations of mediums. Yes, she scientifically studies people who talk to dead people. She is the author of Among Mediums, A Scientist's Quest for Answers and Meaningful Messages, Making the Most of Your Mediumship Reading, and is the editor of the From the Mouth of Mediums series. In today's episode, we talk with Dr. Beischel, the founder of the Windbridge Institute that studies phenomena currently unexplained within traditional scientific disciplines. Some of the things we talk about are the difference between a psychic and a medium, the three types of most common messages communicated by deceased loved ones, a description of the continuing bonds of grief model and why it is so effective in dealing with grief, the different research programs used to study mediums by the Windbridge Institute, and finally, how common spontaneous after-death communication actually is and what we need to do to hear it. So let's jump in. Welcome, Dr. Beischel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to speak with you today because you are working on so many interesting things. Um, But before we jump in, I'd love for you to tell our audience a bit more about you, your background, your story, and what got you to where you are today. Um, Well, I have always been a scientist. I kind of feel like that was the way that I moved through the world um, from a very young age. Like, I remember in eighth grade, I won the science award of the kids in my eighth grade. Like, I was the best science student (laughs) or whatever. Um, And I just stayed on that track my whole life. So my, uh, I got an undergraduate degree in environmental sciences, and then my PhD is in pharmacology and toxicology, which is basically just interdisciplinary physiology. Uh, So... Um, I know a lot about the earth. I know a lot about the body. And uh, then while I was in graduate school, uh, I had a personal loss in my life. And that sort of a few years later turned me on to, like, I'd never heard of a medium. I didn't know what a medium was. And then I saw this man on TV, John Edward, and the people on the TV show seemed to be genuinely moved by what he was saying. And the pieces of information seemed relatively specific. And I thought, well, I need to check that out for myself because I'm a scientist. And so I got a reading from a local medium and I knew a little bit, I had read a little bit about cold reading and like what, you know, what, what fraudulent mediums can do. And none of that happened. And she reported things that I didn't even know that I had to check on with other people in my family. And so I sort of walked away from that, like, well, there's something here that is not explained in any textbook I've ever seen. Um, and, and so I started to, to, you know, tell that I went, I, it was on a weekend. I went back to graduate school, you know, classes on Monday or whatever. And I told people about it. And most 
people like good scientists said, oh, well, I don't know anything about that, but that sounds like an interesting experience. But a couple people were like, no, they're all frauds. They're all con artists. There's, you know, you got duped. And I, that made me very angry. Like I was there, it was my data that, you know, I know what was happening and that's not the case. And I realized that just these people are just doing, you know, they have these experiences, they have these anomalous perceptions and they just um, feel compelled to use those talents to help people. And yet they're being stereotyped and all, you know, lump summed one group, all con artists and frauds. And I thought that's not fair. And how, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for a moment, but how, so two questions. One, prior going into it, it sounds like you were open to the experience, but not necessarily, you weren't a non-believer and you weren't a believer. Is that right? That's right. I was okay. a scientist. Right. So I, did, I made no, I had no preconceived conclusions. I, I thought, well, I need to, I need to collect the data. I need to look into it. And yeah, the, the you know the data supported, like she was saying things she couldn't have otherwise known. So yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about. Not specific details, but how did you know that she knew things that she couldn't have known? I mean, is it like locations, names, you know, things, um, memories? Yeah, it was um, all of those things. Okay. Names, um, events, you know, things uh, she was describing you know, oh, at the cemetery, there's this. And it, it didn't have anything to do with who died. It didn't have anything to do with the cemetery she was in. But I talked to my aunts, my mom's sisters, and they said, oh, yeah, that's this big deal. They had a cousin and his wife, and their baby died in childbirth. And so they were like, oh, yeah, that's this place in the cemetery where they're buried. And, and so that's a big deal in our family. And But we, you know, they live in the Midwest and we lived in Arizona. So I'd never been there and I didn't have any, I didn't know this story and I didn't know this um, details about the cemetery and, you know, the way that she died. Um, so the cause of death and the, you know, the, just the like messages she had and the, the different, and then there was even a piece, I write about this, um, this story because uh, as a, in physiology no one ever asks you for your story of how you got into this but in this field it seems to be very relevant so I wrote this book among mediums a scientist quest for answers to to put the story in one place so if people had those questions they could see it and so all the details of this story are um in there and and then the book goes on to like and this is what I found becoming a scientist hmm. um but so there's a lot more details in there but um and, you know, I scored the reading with a numerical scoring system and, and all this. Uh, but there were, I, to, I tell this story in there, there, there's this alternative theory in mediumship research that the medium isn't getting the information from the deceased, they're getting it from you or other living people. And so the medium during the reading said, you know, oh, I'm seeing this station wagon. And, you know, like, I, I, I know the things like, well, people my age, that's something that was in our childhood. Like, that's right. not terribly specific. Right. So my memory of our station wagon is that I left a green uh, crayon in the, in the back seat, between the back seat and the way, way back seat. Okay. And in the Phoenix uh, sun, it melted. And so the medium saying station wagon and I'm screaming in my head, green crayon, green <laughs> Please, crayon. Yeah. yeah. And she doesn't say it. She doesn't, you know, there's no mention of green or anything. So that's not evidential, but it like, it made me think like, oh, well, she's not like, she doesn't, ha she's not tuned into my thoughts mm -hmm. specifically, um, which again is not 
you you can never make the distinction between those two theories based on the content of the reading. So I that's not definitive or anything, but it was interesting. So I went back to the world, and then I got mad that people had this untrue stereotype about mediums in general, and I thought, well, these people need a good scientist to defend them. And the universe was like, oh, yeah, because here you go. That's your job now. And just a <laughs> lot of things fell into place. And um, my husband and I started the Winbridge Institute um, to be able to do this kind of research. And luckily, uh, that was January of 2008. And we're still going strong and getting funding and doing studies. So wow, I, I guess the universe was right. This is my job now. <laughs> so... Okay, so there's so many directions we can go here. Um, what I'd love to do is, since you have such a multifaceted approach, and I, I recommend everybody go on your website, which I'll have in the show notes, um, but if you could tell us about some of the studies that you've worked on over the past few years and what you've learned from the studies that you could share with us. Okay. Uh, so our main focus currently at the Winbridge Institute is, is the survival of consciousness hypothesis, which theorizes that consciousness is not created by the brain, but it's separate from the brain and merely channeled or funneled by the brain. Just like uh, the TV signal is not created by the TV. The mm. TV just channels it in and lets you see it. And so survival of consciousness is the theory that when the brain dies, the consciousness continues. And so there are many ways to study survival of consciousness, and one of them is studying mediums, people who report experiencing regular communication with the deceased. And then, so that's my specialty. And then um, my husband, his specialty is instrumental transcommunication, which is the use of technology to interact with or detect the deceased. So you would have to talk to him. That's like a whole bell. That's a quest. whole other thing. Okay, yeah. we will. We'll have to get to him. Okay. <laughs> um, but the mediumship yeah. piece, there are three major ways that we look at that. And so we, we, the code names for the research programs, we call them information operation application. So the information research program investigates the accuracy and specificity of the content of the things that the medium is saying. So we have a, it's tremendously complex, but we have a quintuple blinding uh, procedure that where we perform research readings with the mediums on the phone and everybody's blind. It's just me and the medium on the phone and all we have is the first name of a deceased person and then I ask very specific questions about that deceased person and the medium reports back and then there's a living person wanting to hear from that person not on the phone elsewhere and then we email that person their reading and an and somebody else is reading blinded so they don't know which is theirs and they score both of them and it's all this blinding. And so it illuminates all the explanations that uh, that skeptics and uh, historically have been said, oh, well, their mediums are just doing this. So it eliminates fraud. There's no way the medium can look anything up. Well, um, okay, sorry, I'm going to hold off for a second. You, sure. Did you say you give just the first name? Yes. So, so for example, John. Yep. How, 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 so the question <laughs> you have, the question yeah. you are stumbling on is how do they find the right John? Right. And, it seems to be, and we'll get to this with the operation, okay. program, is that the right John finds them. Okay. Because they experience it as a volitional, you know, person with motivation to talk to their sitter. Um, and so they, they, apparently the deceased have that information um, and they find the medium at the right time. And we just, you know, we, uh, intention is very powerful and, and um, that's demonstrated in the research, the power of, of consciousness on 
various things. And so we, we put the intention, we ask the sitter, you know, we tell them this is the time the reading is going to take place. We don't tell them. We have uh, 19 mediums on our team. We don't tell them which medium is doing the reading. Um, and we say, please invite your deceased person to, to find the medium and communicate at that time. And we're, our intention is that it works. The medium is, you know, doing her um, ritual to open up to the right discarnate and such. So it, it tends, it seems to work. It's been working. Um, and so we just published a paper in the journal Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing, um, in which we did that protocol 58 times. And um, we, the sitter, who's actually the only person capable of scoring a reading, a mediumship reading, because you could, I could spend, you know, a month with you telling me all about your deceased father or whatever, and I still couldn't get all the information that would allow me to judge whether the, the you know, because you could have forgot something sure. or something could have only made sense in context. So the, the sitter is the only person capable of providing the scoring. So we, from the sitter, we collect item by item scoring. They score each item in the reading. We transcribe the reading and we remove any reference to the names and we, um, turn them into definitive statements. So if the medium says she kind of had red hair, we say she had red hair. Um, because you can't score it. It's, it's a numerical system from zero to six, but you can't score she kind of had That's red true. hair. That's true. You're right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, and so they do item by item scoring. Then we say give the whole reading a numerical score of, on this specific scoring system. And then we say they've, they have two and only one is theirs and they don't know which is which. And then we say pick which one is yours. So we have these three different ways of of assessing accuracy and specificity. And uh, in these 58 readings, all three of those were statistically significant. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so that's, that's the first part of it. And then what happens? So then there's the operation research program, which examines the mediums, uh, what's called phenomenology, which is just their experience, their experience of their experience. Um, phenomenology, psychology, do that, you know, are, do mediums have unique personality characteristics and then physiology, do they have, um, a lot of mediums report increased disease prevalence, um, than is expected by national averages. So, Meaning, um, sorry, that mediums get more sick than other people. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, for example, on our team, um, like I, I gave them, uh, I invited that, right, their research participants, they don't have to do everything I say. They can choose which studies to participate in or not. Uh, and 16 um, completed the health survey I recently gave. And of the 16, 10 of them had autoimmune disorders. Really? So that's 63%, whereas the national prevalence is only 5 to 8. What? And, and, and three of those 10 have more than one autoimmune disease. And how do you, or, or are you yet coming to a conclusion or we're theory? Still, we're still collecting okay. that yeah. data. Okay. We're still looking at that. Okay. Yeah, we're just finishing up a study where we're collecting their blood and their physiological measurements during readings to see, is there something stressing in the body? Does the cortisol spike? Does the, you know, is there that sort of thing? So that's really interesting. And then the um, psychology, you know, they score, um, they, it's, uh, they score low in neuroticism. Um, which is negative emotions, but I think that might not be re reflective of mediums in general. It just might be reflective of the ones confident enough in their mm. ability that they'll let a scientist poke and prod and test them. Got it. Okay. So it's 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 reflective of research mediums, but not maybe mediums. 
um, and they score high in extroversion and um, super high in, these are the big five. So that's, um, it's called the big five personality type. So it's um, the acronym, you remember it, it's OCEAN. So it's openness. So they score really high in openness to experiences and that makes sense. And then conscientiousness, they score really high. Agreeableness, just average. Excuse me, um, neuroticism, I said low. Uh, did I miss one? O S. Or was it just ocean? Yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, e, extroversion. So they score um, pretty high in extroversion too. Meaning um, they're, they're, they're typically more extroverted. Yeah, and again, that could be just this group of research mediums, yeah. So we actually um, received a grant that we're, um, we're getting the project together and we'll collect the data um, later this year in 2015 and during 2016 um, to develop an online survey to gather information like this from the general population of American mediums. So, it, you know, we're saying, oh, well, we think this population is representative, this 20 that we work with, but is it? So we want to start collecting data from mediums general. So that will launch that. We're working on it and we'll launch that project later this year. So that will be really interesting. And that will collect both, um, all of those. It will collect phenomenology data, physiology data, and psychology data. So, yeah. So then we'll have a way better understanding of the of modern men mental mediums. We call them mental mediums versus physical mediums. What's the difference um, between mental and physical mediums? So a mental medium uh, experiences and reports information from the deceased, and a physical medium uh, creates or demonstrates physical phenomena like raps and knocking and at ports, which is like the the sudden. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a piece of there's like a piece of jewelry on the table that there wasn't before. That's called an apport. Hmm. So. Um, that, again, physical mediumship, that is my husband's forte. Okay, okay. Um, but um, so what we're talking about are mental mediums. And then the, while we're defining terms, people will say, well, what's the difference between a medium and a psychic? And uh, the, the common phrase is all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. So mediums communicate with the deceased and psychics um, get information about um, using the traditional parapsychology terms are telepathy, clairvoyance, and precognition. So mind to mind, like things that uh, other people are thinking about, um, information at a distance, clairvoyance, so like remote viewing, uh, and then precognition, which is something that will happen in the future. So psychics can get information about that. And mediums can as well, but they also can talk to the dead. Got it. So all okay. mediums are psychic, not all psychics are mediums. Okay, got it. Um... Oh, so the, we talked about this, uh, hold on one second. Okay. We talked about this three pieces of the operation research program. Um, the first one that I said was phenomenology, so their experiences. And uh, we had talked about that it's, that you cannot distinguish the source of the information in medium reports based on the content of what the medium is saying. So is it coming from living people or, you know, libraries uh, in the universe mm -hmm. or is it coming from volitional 
deceased consciousness that's still around and communicating with her. And the content, can you can't distinguish between the two. So we've taken another approach using the phenomenology because the mediums experience the two as very different. So they, uh, when they're doing psychic readings for the living and deceased and mediumship readings for the deceased, their, their experience, their psychological experience, and even their, their physiological experience is different. So, um, we've, we've, uh, collected data where we just had them describe the two and we published a paper about their, the different, the similarities and the differences. They're going to be similarities because they're both using non-sensory, um, information access. So, there are similarities, but there are a couple differences. And then we did a study um, in which that same protocol that I described with the information research program, where we gave them the name, the first name of, of a target, and some of the targets were living and some of the targets were deceased. And I didn't know which and they didn't know which. And then we pref they did the readings and we asked specific, I asked specific questions about the target. And then they filled out a standard... Um, questionnaire called the Phenomenology of Consciousness Inventory, which quantifies 26 different dimensions of consciousness. So it, it um, gives numbers to your altered state of consciousness, your um, experience of how time has passed, uh, your memory of the experience, and those sorts of things. And uh, under blinded conditions, and um, in a majority of the time, they spontaneously were able to tell what which target, which kind of target it was, living or deceased. So that was one piece. And then they filled out this questionnaire. And then, again, a lot of similarities because they're using this, accessing this non-local, non-sensory information. But um, the, there was one big difference uh, between the two experiences, and that was for the dimension love. And so a scientist will say, oh, well, yeah, you looked at 26 things. The fact that one of them was different, of course. But I think that it's not just a chance finding because it that directly reflects the way that they describe the difference. Um, like uh, one medium says, uh, a mediumship reading, a, a psychic reading is like reading a book. A mediumship reading is like seeing a play. So it's this very distinct um, experience. And then like one medium was saying, oh, you know, when I do a reading for a deceased person, I, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, you know, I feel connected to this greater universal love and I feel like I'm part of something and I feel really connected. And when I do a psychic reading for a living person, I, I feel alone. And I, you know, I, it's, it's, um, it's, so it's this very distinct difference. And so we, though we can't use the content of what the medium says to distinguish the source of the information, this phenomenology research implies that there is a difference and that the mediums can tell which one they're doing and that their experience is that they're communicating with the survived consciousness of deceased people. And and is it true? Oh, and I'm just thinking of my own um, experience of seeing a psychic who does practice mediumship. Um, and, and I know, for example, she will say, I see, and she'll describe someone on your left, someone on your right, and she'll describe them. Is that specific examples of, is my question is, is, every medium different in terms of how they receive the information. Some of them see it visually, some of them get a feeling. Yeah. The, uh, in our phenomenology research, we have shown 
that they, most of them experience it multimodally. We talk this multimodal. So yeah, they see through their mind's eye. They um, hear things. They some of them smell things. They even taste things. They feel um, pain uh, in the in the parts of the body that were related to the cause of death. Um, they 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 get a sense of like the personality. Um, and so yeah, it's this sort of um, multimedia extravaganza. Yeah. <laughs> it's the mediumship experience. Surround sound. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, whereas the, that's the mediumship, um, and they also get that sort of information psychically, but again, the quality is different. And uh, like a lot of things, like mediums and psychics will often use words like vibration and energy, though those are words that mean something in physics. And that's not what they mean, but they're just our words. Um, in our in the English language, maybe there are in German, right? Um, <laughs> that describe the, exactly what their experience is. So they do the best with what they have. Now, um, you, you use the example of a TV um, and the antenna, you know, of tuning into a certain frequency. Is it similar in thinking about if physics is right? Is all about energy and vibration? That um, that that's what a medium does is they tune into a certain frequency that maybe we're not able to access? That's the way that they describe it. Like when we do our mediums that we work with are uh, certified through an eight step um, peer reviewed screening, testing and training procedure. And part of the one, those eight steps are interviews and fill out questionnaires and things. And when we ask them, uh, yeah, do, do you have to, how do you do, how do you tune in? Mm-hmm. They, they all said, I don't, I have to tune out to go through my life. <laughs> to, like, oh, to go to the grocery store and right. you know, feed the kids, I have to tune out or I'm just receiving it all the time. So they've all learned how to do that. So it's, uh, it's always coming in, like a radio signal. Yeah, exactly. So that's information and operation. And then the third research program that we do is application, which is, the, you know, our full name is we're the Winbridge Institute for Applied Research in Human Potential. So we're interested in the applications of these um, anomalous experiences and phenomena that we study. And so primarily, uh, right now we're interested in the application of mediumship readings in the treatment of grief. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting. We uh, published a paper not too long ago where... Um, it was sort of a call to action to clinicians to learn about this because a lot of people are getting mediumship readings and um, there should be trained professionals to help them, you know, uh, help people deal with their grief in relation to a mediumship reading, right? A medium has a job and that's to convey messages from the deceased. They're, they can't be your therapist. Your counselor, your, yeah. Um, so, because, you know, like, a good therapist is really focused on you and a good medium is really focused on not you. Right. So, um, to have them as a team, that's what we're recommending is the, is to have them as a team where you can be working with a counselor, um, who can gauge, you know, and this is all data we still have to collect to figure out so that these, um, things have some grounding in reality. Oh, this is a good time. This is how you know it's a good time for someone to receive a reading. Like we still need to collect that data. We don't, no one knows that. Um, what and do you then, mean a good time? Meaning how soon after they passed or, yeah, is that what or you mean? like where you are in your grief process, you know, that there, maybe there's something that we can uh, work with therapists and figure out 
that, oh, you know, when you're seeing the client is, is like this or doing this, then maybe now is a time to recommend a good medium. And then, so we'd have this network and they could, you know, and then if someone came to a medium and they hadn't seen a therapist, maybe there are signs that the medium can recognize that they can recommend, oh, well, maybe after this reading, you can take what you get here to this, you know, a therapist on this list and, um, they can help you integrate that into your life. The, the theory behind why mediumship readings make people feel better, which a lot of people report, you know, that it does, um, is, is within the, the, um, the major model of grief that, that exists in the world. It's called continuing bonds. So in the 50s, the, the major model was like, oh, get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, stop thinking about it, move on. Mm-hmm. And that, doesn't, that does not make people feel any better. So in the 80s, this, this model of continuing bonds developed, which is you don't have to forget about it. You just have to reframe your relationship. They're just not in your life like they were before, but they're still in your life. And so there's been lots of data published about people who have what are called spontaneous after-death communications, that that really improves grief. So when people, cause, because that demonstrates, oh yeah, that person still is in my life. And so we're recommending, we're, we're um, hypothesizing that uh, mediumship reading, which we call assisted after-death communication, would have the same effects. But we need to collect the data um, to be sure. There's a lot of anecdotal information. Um, and we did a survey and the data are in the paper that we published. But we need to collect data. And with my training in pharmacology, uh, I'm good at designing clinical trials. So I designed a clinical trial and um, we're hoping to collect data in, in um, treatment options like this. You can't blind someone like you can in a drug trial with mm-hmm. placebo yeah. to whether or not they got a mediumship reading. So the you know, same thing was when they do studies of yoga, that you can't blind someone to whether they did yoga or not. Right, so you right. do often what's called a wait list control. So just people not doing the thing and you test them before and at a, you know, after nothing. Right. And then you give the um, intervention and you test people before and after and you compare the groups. So we've designed a clinical trial like that, the intervention being a mediumship reading with a wait list control group. So we still need to collect that data, but we're, um, that's a really necessary piece of this that um, we need to collect that data. A lo- you know, a lot of people are saying that it, is making them feel better. And it makes logical sense that it would based on all this data from spontaneous after death communication research. Um, so, but we need to collect that data. So let's say people, obviously I think everyone in our audience has lost, lost someone in their life at this point. Right. Um, but for those who are an audience who are maybe particularly a recent, um, death or a sudden death or really, you know, um, still in process, what would you want to tell them about what you know so far um, about the survival of consciousness or about their loved ones? What would you want them to know? Based on this mediumship data and other survival of consciousness um, research directions, near-death experiences, children who remember previous lives, um, out-of-body experiences, those sorts of things, as a group, as a, all of that data together, does imply that consciousness survives physical death, that it doesn't need a brain to, to be around. And so there's that piece, like just rest assured that's most likely the case. Okay. And um, 
that these uh, mediumship reports and, and um, after-death communication is really, really common. And so um, I had a colleague who studies near-death experiences recently tell me about this study. I, so this is second party, but I know this is true. Um, where they asked people, widows, uh, I think it was like three months, six months, and a year after the death, ha have you experienced the person since they died? And the same people, more of them said yes at three months than said it at a year. So by a year, enough they had started to second guess their experience or enough people in their lives went, no, that didn't happen, that they went, okay, yeah, that didn't happen to me. So that's terrible because it's very demonstrated in the literature that after spontaneous after-death communication is really healing and really beneficial to the process of grief. So um, in, you know, I'm a scientist, so I can report p-values and statistics, and but I can't, uh, I can't tell you what it's like to be dead or what it's like to be a medium. And so I started this um, ebook series called From the Mouths of Mediums. And the first uh, volume is experiencing communication. So I asked the mediums on our team to describe how they experience communication. Like, so not under um, phenomenological research conditions, just mm -hmm. like, hey, you guys, what's this like? Yeah. And they just were open. And then I did it on a listserv so they could see what the other ones were saying, which you can't do in research because you have to keep participant blinding and confidentiality. So this was, they were all on the listserv and they, so if one said something, the other ones can say, oh yeah, that does happen to me too. And they could add to it. So it was really this sort of group discussion about their experiences. And then the second question was, what recommendations do you have for people interested in having their own after-death communication? And so they had a lot of advice about um, the ways that people can experience communication through dreams or um, they just had a lot of advice. Yeah. What are the, what are the most common ways that people do receive a spontaneous after death communication? So there are so many. So like, the bottom line is like, if you think that it was, then it was. Mm. So anything from like, you know, um, significant numbers on license plates you see in traffic to, um, specific colors to coins, right? The pennies from heaven phenomena to, um, you know, birds or butterflies or other kind of wildlife around you. Or um, a big one is just simple sense of presence. So you didn't see anything, you didn't hear anything, but you just felt like the person was with you. There are a lot of different examples. And so that the medium's recommendation was if you think that it was, then it was. And, and to keep a journal of it, of the experiences, so that you can say like, oh, well, look, they always happen on a Monday or, um, you know, it's always this sort of modality. It's always this sense of presence versus, you know, or, and smells too. Like, oh, I smelled my mom's perfume or I smell. I read that a lot. Smells. Yeah, that smell yeah. is a really big one. Yeah, which makes sense because, you know, um, smell is the sense most closely related to memory. So that would make sense. What you're saying really is to be very aware, to be mm -hmm. open and, and acutely aware of what's going on around you. That is exactly right. Yeah. yeah. One of the mediums said, you know, sit down, be quiet, and then wait. And that's the hardest part because you're like, talk to me. Yeah. And we have no <laughs> attention span, right, in our modern society. So to just like be quiet and wait, that's really difficult. But um, so, yeah, I think that that is an, an easier option to just be aware. You are going to go in, through the world. You are going to encounter, you know, different things. So just be aware 
Um, and then on the other side of it, don't assign everything, don't assign meaning to everything because that sort of takes away the value of the things that are actual communication. Um, and so is it, you had mentioned that this after-death communication is part of the grieving process, which I found really interesting is that I wonder if it is sort of architected, right, in a certain way to help heal us if we're open to it. Yeah, you know, this continuing bonds um, method is sort of ingrained in us. It's what babies go through, you know, and for a while as they develop, if, the, if they can't see the mommy, then they cry. And then there comes a point where they know, I can't see the mommy, but I know she's still around. And then they don't get so upset. So that's what that is, is, is us recognizing that though I cannot see this person anymore, they're still in my life. So it's, it's, a, it's a thing that our biology already knows how to do, this continuing bonds method. Um, and yeah, the, it seems very, after-death communication seems very, very common. Um, and it's really a shame the way that people don't feel like they have a place to talk about it or um, that, it, that they're crazy. Or, no, it's super common. And, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a valuable piece of the grieving process because it does demonstrate this continuing bonds um, issue and it's very common. It's very common. And what role does, I know you had mentioned uh, the idea of past lives um, in mediumship readings. For example, if your deceased loved one is going on to the next life, right? Or you, you know, does this come up at all about where they are in the process of, of the afterlife? So in our research, we're doing these readings under very controlled conditions where we're asking for one deceased person and we're asking very specific questions. Ah. So there, a lot doesn't come up spontaneously because um, the one thing that did come up spontaneously was the last question we asked about personality, physical description, um, hobbies or interests, cause of death, do you have any specific messages for the sitter, and is there anything else you could tell me about the person? Mm -hmm. And so in messages for the sitter, often I was noticing that the deceased were saying, oh, I'm with this kind of dog, or I'm with this kind of cat. Mm. Um, and so I asked the mediums, is that common? And they said, oh, yeah, sometimes I do a whole reading just for the, a deceased animal. So we um, are in the process of collecting that data where it's the same exact study, except instead of deceased people, it's deceased animals, deceased companion animals. And so instead of the first name of the deceased, because the names of animals are very descriptive right. of the animal usually, so we use the name of the, the living guardian um, sitter. Uh, it, but otherwise it's, you know, and it's not what were your hobbies, it's different questions that are more animal-centered. Um, and so we're in the middle of that study, but, uh, so far it's the similar sort of results. So not only does this research demonstrate that your deceased loved one who is human is still mm -hmm. around you, your deceased animal is still around you as mm -hmm. well. Wow. Beautiful. Um, and, and do, you know, one of the things I, I, I'm reading a book called, um, I think it's called Glimpsing into Heaven. Um, by a journalist. And um, one of the things she talks about, she it was all around, not near-death experiences, because as she says, they did die, right, and come back. Um, they weren't close to death. They actually, you know, 
by all accounts and purposes, they all died and came back. And um, she interviewed a lot of hospice workers who shared that towards that very often this towards the ends of life that the people will start talking about either they'll say, I'm going to a party, I have to get ready, or they'll share that people, um, deceased loved ones come to greet them, um, you know, right before death or whatever. Um, any experience, and obviously you can't answer it scientifically, but any knowledge or experience of, of understanding that r- moment right before death? Um, was the book Opening Heaven's Door by Patricia Pearson? No. Okay. Because it's, sim- it's, it's similar. similar. Journalist, okay. okay. Uh, where she had personal experiences and she interviewed a lot of hospice uh, workers too and found the same sorts of things. So maybe we'd that book next. Yeah, um, both of so, us. So yeah, the, that's a really common... Um, a really common uh, story is that, yeah, people um, in ho- people who are dying will say, I need my passport. Um, you know, I'm going on a trip on Monday and then they'll die on Monday. Or, you know, oh, so-and-so is coming to get me and we're going to go shopping on Tuesday and then they die on Tuesday. So there's something like, I think that there's a lot that the medical system has taken away from us is how much control we have over our own, you know, health destinies. And that, that sort of data imply that that's a, that, you know, and that, that that's up to you where and how you die. And so I, I look forward to a time and I would like to be part of a change in which we train people how to die, just like we train mothers how to give birth and oh, what to expect. Love that. Because it's not, it's something we are going to have to do. Like, we might as well be prepared for it. And the same thing with the, like, training for the families of the people in hospice. Like, these are common things. They may talk about going on a trip. They may talk about deceased people that, you know, that came to visit them. They, you know, and all of these things so that when it happens, it's not so startling and so traumatic that, that they, so, yeah, I hope to be a part of that process where we, um, sort of change the system and can offer this information that's, you know, research-based, like, yeah, this, um, we can, there are lots of reports that this is what happens. And, um, you know, I have some colleagues that wrote uh, a book called Handbook to the Afterlife, and they collected a lot of data about the, um, the afterlife and the, and the dying procedure from channeled information and, uh, not necessarily like religious text, but uh, that sort of um, uh, cultural um, tradition about death and that sort of thing. And so I think, you know, those, that kind of information is in the world. And, and if we can just teach people about it, it's not so scary. And we can spend our resources preserving people's quality of life and not necessarily the quantity of days. Mm, that's beautiful. Um... For those who who have experienced um, a more sudden death, um, I think you you I think I watched a video of you recalled it. Bam, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which stands for? We that's the name that we gave that this clinical trial that I talked about. We call it the bereavement and mediumship ah. study. So bam, yeah, bam. That's how it feels. Even if it isn't a sudden death, that's true. That's how it feels regardless. Bam, your life is now different. Now it is the life you had before they died and the life you have after they died. Um, yeah, so that's that's just descriptive of that experience. And is there are there common for people who have um, 
had sudden losses or actually not to your point, are there common messages that come through? Like I am okay, or I, I don't know what they are, or like, what are the common things you hear? I talk about this. I, I wrote a short ebook um, called Meaningful Messages, Making the Most of Your Mediumship Reading, because what I was hearing from the mediums was that as mediums uh, were more and more prevalent on TV, people had unrealistic expectations because the mediums on TV are heavily edited. And so whenever they made a mistake, which is going to happen in a mediumship reading, the clients were, the sitters were very disappointed. Like, oh no, these people on TV never make mistakes. Yeah, because they're getting Right, <laughs> right. So I wrote this book to sort of train people how to be good sitters. And so in there, one of the things is what to expect about what kinds of information come through. And, and um, from all of the readings that I've seen, uh, I only ever had that one reading myself. Um, but all of the research readings that I've been a part of, there seem to be three types of information that come through. Um, and uh, we call them, it's me, I'm here, I love you. So it's me, things that are identifying of the deceased person. So physical, the things that we ask for in our research readings, physical descriptions, personality, um, favorite foods, those sorts of things. Things where you go, yep, that's the person I want to hear from. And then the second is, uh, I'm here. So things that have happened in your life since the person died. And that, that demonstrates that they're still around. And then the third, which, you know, I love you, are messages. So you really can only um, make sense of the third or have it really be meaningful to you if the other two have already taken place. Right? If she starts with like, oh, your mom's here and she says she loves you. Like, yeah, anyone can say sure, that. Sure, right. <laughs> So it's the only mean, so those sort of happen in a reading chronologically too. Um, it's me, I'm here, I love you. And so the things um, in a, the sorts of messages are, you know, things to alleviate um, guilt, like there's nothing you could have done to prevent my death. That's really common. I didn't suffer. Um, it was my time, you know, um, it's time for you to sell the house. It's time for you to start dating, things like that. So advice, you know, and, and I always say they're still people, right? The dead are not infallible. They're just people without bodies. So their, their advice should be taken with a grain of salt, just like any relative's okay. advice. Okay. So they're not, they don't have all the information. They, you know, mediums are not infallible and neither are the deceased. So you have to treat them like if it's, you know, the advice that you would take if the person was still alive, would you, you know, no, you would think about it and you would you know, talk to a realtor and you would make the decision on your own. And that's that's <laughs> yeah. what you should do when the advice comes from a dead person. Same thing. Right. All right. That That's great. That's really helpful. And so people, can you tell us the name of that ebook again? Yeah, it's called Meaningful Messages, Making the Most of Your Mediumship Reading. Great. So and it's it, just 99 cents because Amazon won't let you sell stuff for free on their server. Ah, okay. Got it. So they can find that. They can Google or they can look that up on Amazon search. A, yeah, all yeah. the all the books. So among mediums, um, for, from the mouths of mediums and meaningful messages, all available on, on Amazon and only as eBooks. Okay, great. And then where else can they find out more about you and your work? Um, our website, uh, windbridge.org has a lot of information and we've sort of broken it down um, for, for the curious, for researchers. Um, so depending on who you are and what you want to know about, um, there are different sort of um, website pathways that you can, you know, you don't need, you don't want to read our peer reviewed research papers. If you don't, if you, you're not a peer, if, science, yeah. if you're not a peer, <laughs> yeah. it's too funny. Um, yes, but yes. Uh, 
And yeah. I saw you also had a really great, for those of you who, have listen, who are listening to this right now and are really curious and amped up to have a mediumship um, reading, you have a list of, of people that you have um, verified on your yeah, website. Yeah, yeah okay. we had, um, like I talked about that study with 58 readings, it was by 20 mediums. So we had 20 on our team, one retired, one is anonymous. So there, there are 18 people's names on our website with their contact information, their websites. And people say, oh, well, which one do you recommend? We never recommend one. They've all passed the same test. Okay. And like, you know, any, you know, anyone like you marry, not, not every husband does not fit every wife, right? So you should go through, uh, and I described how to do this um, a little more in meaningful messages, but it's really simple. Go through, look at the names, look at the websites, and, and ask your deceased person to help you pick of which one they would like to talk to. And one will, you know, quote, speak to you. Emerge. Yeah. Yeah. And that, then you'll know that's the one for you, which wouldn't, might not be the one for me or for you, Susanna, you know, but it's perfect for them. That's great. It's still all people. Not all people get along with all people. Yep. (laughs) Or deceased with living or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Dr. Beischel. This has uh, been so fascinating. And I imagine even just listening in so healing for so many people. So I, I think I speak for everybody to say thank you for the work that you're doing and ushering into the world. Thank you for letting me have a voice here. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, look forward to going on your website and, and reading more. And everybody, as always, look forward to continuing the conversation on our Facebook page, Cosmos in You. And thank you and talk to you all soon. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I would love to continue the conversation with each of you over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash Cosmos in You, or our Twitter page. The Twitter handle also is Cosmos in You. And of course, at our website, cosmosinyou.com. Again, thank you so much for listening in. I'm so grateful to each of you to be able to share this shared passion and look forward to seeing you next time.